0: Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known.
1: The epistle lesson for today is from Romans chapter three, verse twenty-one through twenty-six. This can be found on page 1118 of your pew Bible. God has demonstrated his holiness and justice in the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus made the full payment of our sin, granting us forgiveness according to God's love and grace. A reading from Romans chapter 3, beginning with the 21st verse. to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine, divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word.
0: Be to God. Over the past few months, I've had the privilege of being a first-hand witness to the incredible growth and development of our baby Samuel. It seems like only yesterday he was a blob. That didn't do much. Here's a picture of him at his current state because you can't go wrong with cute baby pictures ever. There's Samuel in the jogging stroller. Whenever I take him for a run, he's not very excited because he falls asleep immediately. But as Samuel has grown, I've noticed something beyond just his cuteness. You can take that down, Max. They're not going to listen to anything I say if it's up there. (laughs) There's something that I've noticed beyond just his incredible growth intellectually and physically and something beyond just his cuteness. I've also recognized that the evidence of the power of sin is already clear in his life. (laughs) Might just be because he's my son, but he's less than a year old and I can already see sin. For example... I say to Samuel, don't do this, or don't touch that, or stop that. And can anybody guess what he does? He does that very thing I've asked him not to. to. He deliberately disobeys me already. You see, Samuel, even though he's very, very cute, he too is infected by the power of sin, just like me. You see, although I'm a pastor, and I know, believe me, friends, I know the things God has told me not to do. I know the Bible pretty well. And yet, what do I find myself doing? Those very things he told me not to do. For example, he says, don't be envious. And I do pretty well until about 8.15 in the morning when I'm pulling out of my driveway and I see my neighbor's brand new Mercedes and I think, man, God, I deserve that more than them. He says, don't be self-centeredly angry. And I do pretty well. And then I pull on to the Merritt Parkway. (laughs) And in about two seconds, I'm filled with self-righteous indignation. And believe it or not, Samuel and I, uh, we're not the only ones that deal with sin. Actually, what we see in our passage this morning is you, congregation, all of you deal with sin as well. Believe it or not, even Pastor Heather She deals with sin. (laughs) And what we see in our text today in Romans 3 is the effect of sin. Because of our sin, we are universally guilty before a perfect God. So let's dive into the text on that very encouraging note. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Now I really want to zero in on the end of Romans 3:22 and the beginning of 23 Paul says for there is no distinction For all, did you hear that, church? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this concept of sin is what Paul has been writing about the entire time up to this point in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, he appealed to one group of people, non religious people, and talked about their sin. And in Romans 2, he appeals to religious people and he talks about their sin. And in Romans 3, he culminates the exercise by saying, It doesn't matter whether you're not religious or religious. God makes no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, what Paul is teasing out is human nature, that it's in our very DNA that we fall short of God's perfection and his glory. Whether we are religious or not, And because of our imperfection, because of our sin, we are universally guilty before a perfect God. Now, I think this concept is especially hard for modern people like us to understand. It would have been much easier for the original readers to understand this concept of sin. And part of it is because we don't use the word sin very much today, do we? It doesn't really come up too often in conversation. And so for teaching purposes, I want to use a different translation of the Bible, a much more accessible translation of the Bible. The King James Version, believe it or not. <laughs> Every Sunday, we repeat the Lord's Prayer and we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But in the King James Version, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those Who trespass against us. And I think this word trespassing is more accessible than the word sin. Because we all understand what trespassing is, right? Think about it. You're walking along on a beautiful summer's day. You're hanging out with Pastor David. We're having a good time. The birds are chirping. The sun's shining. We come to the edge of the church property, and there's a sign on a fence, and it says, Do not enter. And me being the sinful pastor that I am, I'm like, well, what do you think? Looks pretty nice over there, right? And so we look both ways, and uh, we cross over anyway. You see, what trespassing implies is that there's some personal responsibility, some personal liability when it comes to our sin. It's like we saw the sign, we saw the fence, and we crossed over anyway. And I think this is important because we tend to look back on our past and say, oh, yeah, Pastor, I've made a lot of mistakes. But remember, a mistake is like, oops, I didn't mean to do that. But that's not really the case with a lot of our sin. It's like, no, 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 we knew better. You see, we saw the sign, we saw the fence, and we crossed over anyway. We knew that item wasn't ours to take but we took it anyway. We knew those words were going to be hurtful. We said them anyway. We knew if that secret ever got out about that person, their life would be crushed, but we shared it anyway. You see, we saw the sign, we saw the fence, and we crossed over anyway. And I know better than most what the fence says because I'm a pastor and I know what God's law says. And yet, what do I find myself doing? God says, don't be envious, and I'm envious. He says, don't be angry, and I'm angry. And by the way, Jesus takes God's law, and he says that the intent of the heart is equal to the act. So Jesus says, you know, if you look at someone lustfully, it's like you've committed adultery. He says, if you are angry at your brother and you call him a fool, it's like you're a murderer. So, Jesus and God, they give us this standard, they give us this fence, and they do so not because they're the cosmic buzzkills of the universe, not because they don't want us to have fun, but because they want to protect us from the pain that sin brings. Friends, I tell Samuel not to touch the radiator, not because I'm no fun, but because I don't want him to burn his hand. And God, he tells us, don't do this, don't do that, because he wants to protect us from being burned. So, okay, God, he gives us these rules. He says, don't do this, don't do that. But what do I do? I do that very thing. And this is a problem. So what's the result of the problem? Well, in verse 23, Paul says this is the result of the problem, that we all fall short of the glory of God that we've all fallen short. The Greek words here are in the present tense. This speaks of a continuous action, a continuous action of falling short and not reaching God's majesty and splendor and glory. You see, because of our sin problem, it causes a chasm between us and a perfect God. And if the sermon ended right here, uh, it would be pretty depressing. It's like, okay, pastor, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything to make it right. Well, have a great day. See you guys. (laughs) Luckily, that's not the end of the story. But before I talk about the solution to sin, I want to talk about two things that Christians often seek that are not the solution to sin, that don't work. These are two routes I've sought in my own life over and over again that haven't worked for me. And these two routes are the way of the legalist and the way of the licentious person. These are two big words. Let me explain them. So let's start with legalism. Legalism is dutiful, strict, dry living. You see, the legalist seeks to deal with their sin by earning God's grace. And throughout my spiritual life, I've fallen into the legalistic trap. I've spent time memorizing Bible verses and going to every single church event just to prove to God and others how holy I was and how great I was. And by the way, this lifestyle, it led me to a joyless, thankless, powerless spiritual life because it was all about me. And that's what legalism is. It's all about you. Now, the other error I fell into often and I still do in my Christian life, is the air of licentiousness. Everybody say that word with me on three. One, two, three. Licentiousness. A word used even less than sin, believe it or not. So what is the licentious person's air in dealing with their sin? Well, the licentious person is an individual that lives a reckless, rule-free, what looks like godless lifestyle. You see, this person seeks to deal with their sin by taking advantage of the grace of God. And they seek fulfillment in themselves and in their lifestyle. This was me as a young man. I thought to myself, well, since I'm already forgiven for X, Y, and Z, why don't I just go do it? And by the way, that led me to a joyless, thankless, powerless spiritual life. You see, although legalism and licentiousness they look very different on the outside, they grow from the same root. And that root is hope in us for dealing with our own sin. You see, this is why both these paths result in spiritual fatigue, strife, sin, and just feeling downright exhausted. You see, the problem with legalism and licentiousness is they look for a solution to sin where it can never be found. And that's in us. We cannot rescue ourselves. And so the logical question that Paul comes to, and I've come to this morning, is who can provide a solution to our sin problem? Who can save us from our universal guilt? Well, thanks be to God. Our rescue, it's not found in us Our rescue is not found in some type of behavior modification. No, our rescue is found in a person. And his name is Jesus. For Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You see, he has justified us before the Father. So let's take a look at that going on in verse 24, exactly how Jesus has justified us. It says this, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Wow, a lot more big words to explain. We're justified by his grace as a gift. You see, friends, we're not justified because we're good. We're justified because he's good. And that makes all the difference. And this is the only way we can be justified. Because of our sinful nature, our sinful state, we cannot rescue ourselves. Think about it. A dead man cannot resuscitate himself. He needs an outside force to do so. So what does justification look like? Well, here's an example of a low illustration. And I say low illustration because I don't want to cheapen God's grace, but I want this idea of justification to be accessible for us. So just for example, you're going out to dinner one night with a group of friends and you're very excited. You haven't seen these people in a while. And um, you get invited to a restaurant you've never been been to before and uh, you forget to look it up online. And so you show up And what you realize first is that you're incredibly underdressed. This is like a black tie occasion, and you're there in a t-shirt and shorts. So you're feeling pretty bad about yourself already. But you're like, you know, my friends are here, I haven't seen them in a while, I'm gonna go for it. So you walk into this beautiful restaurant, you sit down at the table, your friends are there, you open up the menu and you realize, wow, I can't afford this. There's no entree on this menu, that's within my budget. And as you're looking at the menu, you're feeling a little overwhelmed. You're like, should I just leave? Because I probably don't belong in this place. And while you're sitting there, there's a friend of a friend on the other side of the table, and he loves this place. He's been a million times. And he just starts to order all this food for the table. He orders all these appetizers, all these drinks, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, no, that bill's coming. And when it comes to splitting that bill, I'm not going to be able to pay. So you can't enjoy the food, right? You're sitting there, you're full of anxiety because you know that you can't afford this meal. And finally, at the end of the night, it's winding down and you're getting ready to leave and you're waiting for the bill to show up and you lean over to your friend and you're like, where's the bill at? And your friend says, well, oh, you know that guy at the other, other end of the table, Joe? He picked up the tab, right? He paid the price. And in that moment, you're washed over with relief because your anxiety's gone. You see, friends, what I'm trying to say and explain with justification is that when it comes to bringing our souls to God, someone else picked up the tab. And that person is Jesus. You see, he paid the price for us. And that's what Paul goes on to explain right here in verse 24. He says, we're justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus Now, this word redemption, it's simply a business word. It means to buy back. And this word was used often in the first century context. It would have made perfect sense to the readers. And I just want you to remember something about the business world of the Roman Empire. Rome is a slave empire. 30 to 40% of the Roman population was slaves. And so, for example, if you were to go to the marketplace, the Roman Agora in a city like Ephesus... You could buy the latest fashions from Rome. You could buy purple cloth from Thyatira. You could buy spices from the East. And you could buy people. You see, what I'm talking about is ancient human trafficking. So if you were to walk into an early church meeting, taking place in the courtyard in a home in Rome, if you were to walk into that meeting, there's a good chance that at least a third of that church was slaves. You see, we know that there were many slaves in the church, partly because Paul appeals to slaves often in his epistles. So you strike up a conversation with a young man in the congregation and you ask him, well, tell me about yourself. And he says, yeah, I belong to Cornelius. I'm a slave of Cornelius. And you're like, well, how did that happen? He says, well, my parents, they had to sell me into slavery to pay off some debts. You know, they brought me to the marketplace when I was 13 and Cornelius walked in and he had a bag of money and he redeemed me, right? He bought me, and I became his slave. You see, what Paul wants this young man to know is that if he's had a life-on-life encounter with Jesus, his primary identity is not that of a slave to Cornelius, but his primary identity is that of a son of God because Jesus paid for him. And by the way, Jesus paid much more than silver or gold. He paid with his very own life, with his blood, which is what Paul goes on to say in verse 25. He says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's a mouthful. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So what exactly is a propitiation? Well, a propitiation, by definition, is just a wrath-absorbing device in which one pleases God or in the Roman world, the gods. You see, in Rome, these people that worship different Roman deities would have known that they needed to go and make sacrifices at specific temples to be made right with, God, with the gods. But Paul, he reminds us that the gospel flips the script. It's not on us to be made right with God. It's actually on God. You see, Jesus is the one making the sacrifice on our behalf. Did you see what Paul said right there? He said, whom God put forward. In other words, God is the one that put Jesus forward. It was God's plan. You see, Jesus, he didn't die by accident. God sent him to die. This is why, when John the Baptist sees Jesus early in his ministry, he declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, John is recognizing that Jesus himself is the propitiation, he is the one, the Lamb that will bleed out to make humanity right with the Father. Friends, this is the good news that God has done all the work so that we may be made right before him. It's a beautiful word of freedom. So, okay, just practically speaking, what are some takeaways for us this morning? Well, I have a couple takeaways. The first one is this. Some of you are fighting your battle with sin on your own, and it's not yours to fight on your own. And you're falling in to one of those two heirs, either legalism or licentiousness. And as a result, you are absolutely exhausted in your spiritual life. A really simple question to ask yourself if you're trying to figure out, if you're fighting your sin battle on your own is, are you exhausted? If you are, you're missing out on the abundant life that Jesus has promised for you. So for you that feel like you're erring in this way, you're fighting this battle of sin on your own, I have one piece of homework for you this week. One piece of homework. Feel free to take out your pens, pencils, write it down. I expect to have reports back next week. That one piece of homework is each morning this week, I want you to take 10 minutes to start your day off by worshiping God. You see, worship is one of the antidotes to legalism and licentiousness because worship reminds us that our faith isn't about us. It's about God. So start your day. 10 minutes of worship. Takeaway number two. For some of you, you're really walking in freedom. And you realize this justification thing. You know that you're made right by God. You're living into that abundant life. So what's next for you? Well, I love what the author of Jude says to a group of early Christians that are walking in freedom. They know that they're living in justification. He says this in Jude 22 and 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that's stained by the flesh. So, takeaway number two you're walking in freedom. Well, there are Christians around you that aren't, they're doubting, they're struggling. And God in his sovereignty has placed you in their life for a reason. This week, encourage a brother or sister in the faith. Reach out to them. Pray for them. Call them. God's also placed another group of people in your life, people that don't believe. They don't know Jesus. And the author Jude is clear. Um, They're heading towards a fire, friends. And we have the opportunity to snatch them out of that fire. So I want to encourage you this week, God in his sovereignty, he's placed you, you in the lives of many that don't know him. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in sharing his gospel message this week. Because friends, this is good news. Although we were universally guilty because of sin, we have now been fully justified to the finished work of Jesus. Thanks be to God. To learn
1: more about the mission and vision of Sandwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit sandwichchurch.org.